Well, how should Christians live in a dark world? How should Christians live in a dark world? There's no doubt that our world is in darkness. You only need to turn on the news and we will be exposed to all manner of evil that we find very difficult to explain. It's hatred, violence, oppression, extortion. There's a, there's a bent in the human heart to the passions of the flesh. We, we, we conform to the ways of this world. We carry out the desires of the body and the mind and we, we fracture society in the process. Uh, a couple of weeks ago I was asked to speak at one of the university campuses on the topic of pornography. And my research shocked me, you see on the screen. Thank you. Every day, 68 million internet searches for pornography. Every day, two and a half billion emails containing pornography. 35% of all internet downloads, 12% of all websites. The most popular day is Sunday. Who uses it? One third of users are women. 70% of men aged 18 to 24, at least once a month. And porn users are three times more likely to cheat on their spouse. And 56% of divorce cases involve pornography addiction. Now those statistics expose to us the darkness of the human heart. But we could really pick any uh, issue. We could talk about corruption. Saw so online this year alone, there's been a thousand people arrested in Malaysia on corruption charges, 50% of them from the public sector. But we know that that's just the tip of the iceberg, don't we? No, corruption is rife in our country. Bribes are commonplace, deception is considered common business practice, and such realities expose the darkness of the human heart. We could talk of road rules. We know that speeding is wrong. We know that illegal parking is a failure to obey God-ordained authority. And yet we become so adept at these things that we become even proud of it. And such realities expose the darkness of the human heart. Then there are other issues. In, back in Australia, uh, just last month, the final, there was the final state, New South Wales, uh, decided to decriminalise abortion now that they can uh, kill children up to 22 weeks. Uh, and the research shows over 13% of Australian women have had an abortion. It's about 3.5% in Malaysia. And those horrible realities, again, expose the darkness of the human heart. Anger, lies, impatience, greed... Right. They expose the darkness of the human heart. We live in a dark world, and the temptation every day for the Christian is to conform to the dark ways of this world, to give in to those natural sinful desires that we have, to choose to walk in the darkness rather than in the light, and to, to destroy our Christian witness in the process. But we've seen in Ephesians chapters 1 to 3 that God has brought about an amazing transformation in the life of the Christian. He has saved us by his grace through the death of Jesus on the cross so that we're, we're no longer dead in sin, but we're alive in Christ. We're no longer children of wrath. We are children of God. We're no longer far from God, but we've brought, been brought near through the blood of Christ. 
We're no longer divided in hostility against one another. We have been reconciled in Christ. And and all this was, was God's gracious work through Jesus' death on the cross. But we've also seen that having been saved by grace and not by our works, we have been saved for a life of good works. Chapter 2, verse 10 said that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. We should walk in them. And so we've seen in chapter 4 that in response to the grace of God, we are to now live a life worthy of the gospel. We need to put off the old self. We need to put on the new self. Now, we've seen this transformation begins in the mind and then transforms the heart. We've seen it happens as we speak the truth in love to one another. And we've seen that it transforms every part of our being so that we now relate to each other differently. We speak the truth, we forgive, we show kindness and love. Now, as we come to chapter 5, the focus shifts from how we We relate to one another as God's people, to how we must live in the world. And we're shown four areas we need to stand out as different in a dark world. Well, point one on your outlines. Firstly, we are to walk in love. We read verse one. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So here we're reminded that true children resemble their parents. Uh, If you went out into the Sunday school just now, uh, it wouldn't be very difficult to tell which children are mine, right? Uh, In appearance, in speech, in their mannerisms, in their love of Nazi Lamarck, they're just like me. And so we are to be like our Heavenly Father. We've been adopted as his children, and now we are to bear his likeness. And that means we're to walk in love. Because God has loved us. God has shown his love for us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God has adopted us into his family. He showered on us every spiritual blessing. He's promised us an inheritance to come. And so love is to be the defining mark of the Christian. It is to be the pattern of our lives. We are to walk in love. And notice the standard of the love. We are to love as Christ loved us. It's to be sacrificial. Jesus gave his love, life for us when we were dead in our sins. He was a fragrant offering fragrant sacrifice to God. And that is what God wants from each one of us. Putting others ahead of ourselves, graciously treating other people better than they deserve, serving other people's needs. We are to walk in love. And love means that we'll be generous to the needy. And love means we'll be willing to be inconvenienced to help others, like offering transport to church. Uh, Love means we'll welcome people who are different to ourselves. Uh, Love means we'll uh, talk to one another after the service and ask how we can be praying for each other. 
Uh, and love means that husbands will serve their wives and wives will submit to their husbands. And love means we'll joyfully care for our children and, and so much more. But love is to be the defining mark of the Christian. People ought to be able to look at our lives as God's people and understand something of the all-surpassing love of the God whom we are imitating. Well, how are you going at loving others? Of course, we're often told in church that we ought to love other people, aren't we? But I think it's very easy for that to remain kind of abstract and theoretical. Uh, We don't often think about the concrete ways in which we are to love each other, and so we don't do it. Sometimes what I try to do when I turn up to church is just just look around the room uh, and think, how could I show love to that person? Or what's that person's needs? Is there anything I could do to help them? Because it is possible to be kind of distant from other people. But to love others properly, I need to know their needs, which means I need to be committed to seeing them regularly, And I need to be thinking what concrete actions I can take to love others. How are you going with loving one another? Walk in love. Well, secondly, we are to walk in purity. And you notice how Paul turns here from self-sacrifice to the very opposite, which is self-indulgence. We move from, from genuine love to the perversion of love called lust. Look at verse 3. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Notice all Christians are saints. It's not just uh, St. Mary or St. Paul. Right? All Christians are God's holy people. And so that means we are to live as saints, without a a trace of sexual immorality or impurity. We are to be so pure in our conduct that, that no one can even accuse us of doing the wrong thing. Not even a trace of sexual immorality. We don't sleep with our boyfriend or girlfriend before marriage. We don't flirt with someone that we're not married to. There's not a trace of impurity. We don't dabble in pornography. We don't watch inappropriate things on Netflix. We don't fantasize or lust about the opposite sense. And and there's not even a trace of greed either. And remember in the Ten Commandments when it speaks of coveting, it talks of such things as coveting your neighbor's wife. Ephesians 4 verse 19 talks about how the the Gentiles are greedy to practice every kind of impurity. It's as if we, we... the world outside invents ways to be impure. But there's not to be even a trace of that kind of greedy impurity among us, whether it's coveting a relationship, whether it is coveting sex, or whether it is coveting a gadget or a house or a car or a job promotion. Those those kind of behaviors are, are totally incompatible with our new identity in Christ. They're not even to be named among us. And yet we know from those uh, statistics about pornography that I just quoted that these things are named among us. And sins like pornography are, are addictive and they are rampant 
and I take it a good number of us here this morning, struggle, if not in action, but then in our minds. And here Paul reminds us that we really do need to do something about this impurity. We need to do something about our greed. We can't just let it go on. Now notice this impurity is not just with our bodies and our minds and our money, but it's also with our lips in verse 4. That there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. I wonder if you've ever noticed how so much uh, stand-up comedy, you know, what uh, passes at humour, is actually vulgar. You know, it's funny to swear and to talk about sex, apparently. But as Christians, we don't tell dirty jokes, do we? And we don't laugh at dirty jokes either. And we don't use bad language. And we don't grumble and complain about things we don't like. And we don't gossip about other people either. That kind of speech is not loving. It is not pure. And it has no place among us. Instead, we're told we are to be filled with thankfulness. And if uh, sexual impurity covers us, if they express self-centeredness, well, thankfulness is the opposite, isn't it? It recognizes God's generosity to us. It, it expresses contentment for what we have. We are to be thankful. And it's worth reflecting. What words of thanksgiving have I spoken this week? Have I expressed thanksgiving to my spouse? Have I expressed thanksgiving to my children? to the waiter at the restaurant, to the pastors in the church, to the Lord himself. I want to challenge you now. Why don't you, before the end of the sermon today, write down three things that you are thankful for. And when you get home, thank the Lord and then thank the person. Wouldn't that be a good thing to do? But it may well be that as we reflect on our lives, we realize that these things are still very much a part of our lives. And if that's the case, we need to pay attention because Paul has a very severe warning for us in verse 5. He says, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes on the sons of disobedience. So an idolater is someone who replaces God with something else as the object of their love, worship, honor, and trust. And Paul's warning is very severe. If we are engaging in sexual immorality or impurity or, or greed in a persistent way, he's not talking of a, about a one-off mistake that we've repented of. But if it's a persistent sin, then that thing, sex, money, whatever it is, it's our God. And you can't worship God and worship idols. You can't worship an idol and be in the kingdom of God. Paul warns us, don't be deceived. Just because you come to church, just because you've been baptized, doesn't mean automatically that you're okay if your life has not changed. We saw in chapter 2, we are saved by grace, not by works. 
but we are saved for good works, and good works are the evidence that our faith is real. And so if there is no good works, then we should not be deceived about the nature of our faith. I think these words apply very clearly to the issue of same-sex marriage, which is going around in the global Anglican Church at the moment, in country after country, in Australia's the latest. Anglican churches have started to teach that you can be a Christian and engage in homosexual, homosexual activity. It's false teaching. It contradicts this passage. But Paul's warning is not just for those people out there in the West, but for us here too this morning as well. And if we are trapped in greed or lust or impurity and we're not fighting it and we're not changing, Paul warns us not to be deceived. If we refuse to turn from a life of darkness, that shows you're still living in the darkness. And that means you're a son of disobedience who has no share in the kingdom of Christ and of God. So we need to examine our lives. Are we living as saints? Is there sexual immorality or impurity or filthy talk that we need to repent of? Is there a lack of thankfulness in our lives that we need to repent of? And if there is, we should take serious steps. We should confess our sins. We should ask for help from, from other people. And we should make real steps to change because it really does matter that you do. If we've been truly saved by grace, we will walk in purity. More thirdly, in verses 7 to 14, we see that this decisive change in the Christian life is captured graphically with the image of darkness and light. We must walk in the light. Verse 7, Therefore do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Now we're to walk in the light, and essentially walking in the light means walking in God's ways in all that is good and right and true. Now it doesn't mean that we're kind of like trying to guess what God wants us to do. In every situation, it says, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Uh, some people have a faulty view of guidance where uh, they're trying to, based on their feelings and based on what's happening around them, try and think, oh, God wants me to do this or that. But discerning what pleases the Lord is something that we do as we study his word. And the book of Ephesians itself really is the unveiling of God's cosmic will. We know what is good and right and true by studying God's word, and as we think and reflect on what God's word says, then we put it into practice. In our lives, we are to walk as children of light. Now, I think it's actually very easy uh, to listen to preaching with our ears closed. I find myself doing this from time to time. You know, I, I'll come to church and I'll listen to the sermon and then I'll go home and for the rest of the week, I won't reflect at all on what I've heard. 
I want prayer about it, and I want change. And that is, by the way, why we have the sermon outline here, right? So you can write down some notes, and during the week, think about it, and pray about it. Because that's how we, that's how we change, isn't it? And I think if you're not in that, that habit, why don't you start today? Write down a few notes, take the outline home, and the beginning of each day before you go to work, pray that you'll be able to live it out in your life. You will find your life will change. Now notice the motivation for walking in the light here. We are to be who we already are. Verse 8, he says, you are light in the Lord. That's our new identity. And then he says, walk as children of the light. He's just saying, be who you are. Live out your new identity. You've already been made light, so walk in the light. And that means, verse 11, that you won't walk in the darkness. Verse 11 says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. It is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Now, these fruitless deeds of darkness is really any action that is against the will of God. But you notice here there's a particular emphasis on the secrecy that is often associated with sin. I think it's helpful to ask the question from time to time. Uh, if everyone at Bible study knew I was doing this, would I still do it? And if the answer is no, then very likely it's a secret sin that you need to put to death. Now, Christians cannot have one persona that they carry to church in front of every other, everyone else where they look good and then live an entirely different life in secret, in their home. Secret sins have no part in the Christian life. Sin needs to be exposed. Sin needs to be brought out into the light. And if we are harboring a secret sin, then can I encourage you once again this morning to do that, confess it to someone, bring it to the light. It's a scary thing to do, but it will be liberating for you. And do note that as we live in the light, we will also expose the darkness of other people. And so your, as your colleagues tell you that they're going to fudge the books, and you say, I'm not participating in that, well, you expose their sin. And as someone says to you that they're going to speed and get to Penang in two and a half hours, and you say you're going to drive at the speed limit, well, you expose their sin. And as they say, they're going to cheat on their exam and photocopy their textbook. And you say that you're going to study honestly and purchase the textbook. Well, you expose their sin. Now, that's not going to be very popular, is it? Uh, often we'll be ridiculed or mocked, opposed, maybe even attacked in great anger by other people as we expose their sin. And that is why we often feel the pressure to, to conform and just follow the world's ways. It's not nice to be disliked by other people. But we are to walk 
in the light. Our, our lives are to show sin for what it is. We are to be distinctive, distinctively different as we live out God's words. And we do that in the hope that as we expose the sin of others, that they too will one day come to the light. Now, I think that's what verses 13 and 14 are about. Look at it again. When anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And the quotation comes from the book of Isaiah, particularly chapter 60 we read. And in the book of Isaiah, Christ is the light who comes bringing the light of salvation. Uh, he shines his light upon his people so that they are saved and then become the light to others. So look at Isaiah chapter 9 on the screen. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You see, Christ, the promised King, is the light. He brings salvation, Isaiah 49, 6. It's too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and bring back the preserved of Israel. I'll make you a light for the nations that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. So Christ, the light, has come, shining the light on his people. And as he does that, we too then become lights, pointing to him, the true light. So Isaiah 60, arise, Shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Behold, darkness shall cover the earth, thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you, his glory will be seen upon you, and nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. And so as we walk as children of the light, exposing the sin of the world, we do so in the hope that our friends and family may see the light of Christ in us and so come to, the, to, to Jesus and receive the salvation he brings. In other words, distinctive Christian living is vital to effective Christian witness. Distinctive Christian living is vital to effective Christian Witness. You cannot witness effectively to your colleagues or your classmates if you live life the same as them. Sometimes Christians say, oh, I need to stay back in the office with my colleagues every night because they know I'm a Christian and I, I don't want them to think I'm being unloving to the team. There's a good motive in that, of course. But unless my life is different to that of my colleagues, unless I can show my colleagues that my values are not the same as theirs, because I'm a Christian, I'll never be effective in my Christian witness in the workplace. My light will be dimmed as I conform to the ways of those around me. We need to walk in the light, living distinctively Christian lives, in the hope we will draw others to the light. Finally, we are to walk in wisdom. We're at verse 15. 
Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what is the will of the Lord. We are to look carefully how we live. Uh, famous uh, writer John Stott, he says this, we all take trouble over things which seem to matter to us. Our job, our education, our home and family, our hobbies, our dress and our appearance. And so as Christians, we must take trouble over our Christian life. We must treat it as the serious thing. It is. It's helpful, isn't it? Take care how you walk. Walk in wisdom. And essentially what that means is walking in the light, living the way God wants you to live, and therefore making the most of every opportunity to witness in this, in this dark world. See, we're told here that the days are evil. Uh, we live in the end times, if you like. We live in a world that is one day going to come to an end when Jesus returns as the judge. But we belong to, the, to, to his kingdom, the new age to come. And so the, best, the way we make best use of the time is not simply to become adept at using uh, good productivity apps on our computer or disabling our Facebook account. We should be good stewards of our time in those things. Maybe you should play less computer games. But I most effectively witness, I, 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 most, uh, I, I make the best use of the time as I live in the light and therefore make the most of every opportunity to witness to those around me. Now, to summarize, Paul calls this spirit-filled living, and you see that in verse 18. Do not be drunk with wine, that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. Notice this kind of spirit-filled living is not optional. It is mandatory. It is commanded. And notice it is not a one-off action. It is to be an ongoing way of life, a walk. And notice this, is, this uh, being filled is passive. Uh, it is something that God does to us. And notice that this spirit-filled living is about being intoxicated. Now, I don't mean with wine, of course. Uh, alcohol is good, but Christians are told here, we don't get drunk. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. We are to be intoxicated. We are to be under the influence, if you like, of the Holy Spirit. We are to be so filled with God's Spirit as His Word works in our hearts that every thought, every action is the work of God's Spirit among us. And what that looks like is spelled out in those final verses, verse 19 to 21, and then into the, the, the final chapters. If we are filled with the Spirit, then firstly we will address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody to the Lord with our heart. Notice there that singing is directed both to God and to one another as well. We address one another but we make melody to the Lord. And that is significant. Whenever Christians gather, we sing. Have you noticed that? Because words alone can't adequately express the joy and the thanksgiving for all that we've experienced. And we cannot 
by simply words alone, express the praise and glory that is due to God's name. And so when you come to church, please do sing with joy. Don't just, don't just mouth the lyrics. Don't be just worried about what other people think. I remember when I was a teenager, I used to stand next to my brother in church, and uh, he didn't sing, and I didn't want to sing either. Don't worry about how you sound to others. Pour out your heart to the Lord. Sing loudly and happily, because joyful, thankful song is a mark of spirit-filled living. And we don't just sing to God, we sing to one another, and that's why our room is in this uh, quite a weird arrangement where we get to look at a, uh, you know, an iron wall and observe the cats uh, instead of looking at the, the cross and a beautiful landscaped garden over on the site. It's so that we can talk to one another, we can sing to one another. And notice we are to, uh, secondly, we are to be thankful. We read we are to give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's striking, isn't it? Give thanks always and for everything. Christians are not grumblers. Christians are not pessimists. Christians are thankful people. In every situation, always, no matter how bad it gets in everything, there's always something to give thanks to God for. I wonder if you remember Paul in prison in Philippi. What was he doing in the prison cell? Singing hymns, writing the letter of Philippians with those famous words, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. doesn't mean that we never feel sad. We have to pretend to be happy all the time. But thankfulness is the key mark of the heart transformed by the Spirit of God. We can be thankful for the salvation he's given us, thankful for all the spiritual blessings he's lavished on us, thankful for our brothers and sisters that he's united us with, thankful for the change he's bringing in our lives. We can be thankful always and in everything. And finally, being filled with the Spirit is seen in our relationships as we submit to one another. We're going to look at that a lot more next week. But notice a mark of the Spirit is being able to submit to right authority in our lives, in, in, the, in the home, in the workplace, in the world. Well, will you notice being filled with the Spirit is not about having a particular spiritual gift? about having a life controlled by the Spirit, a life of thankfulness and joy. Well, as we finish, how should Christians live in a dark world? We are to be who we are. We are light in the Lord, so we walk as children of the light. We take no further part in the, the deeds of darkness in which we once walked. And so as we do this, we shine as lights in the world and draw others to Christ as well. This is enormously important that we understand this. If we are to effectively witness in this land, we have to stand out as different. We cannot be like everyone else on the roads, in the office, 
on the internet. We must be different. We must be convinced that this is the only strategy to transform a dark world. You do not transform a dark world through politics or for, through social activism. The only one who transforms the human heart is Jesus. And so we must live distinctively Christian lives that witness to who Jesus is, not conforming to the culture, but being transformed and then transforming others. So what will you do as you get up tomorrow morning to go to work? Will you walk in the darkness or walk as a child of the light? Let's pray. Now, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have shone the light of salvation into our hearts. We thank you that Christ has raised us up from spiritual death to spiritual life through his death on the cross. And Lord, we thank you that you are indeed transforming our lives that we might be like you. Lord, help us to walk in love, to walk in purity, to walk in your ways in the light, to walk in wisdom. Lord, we, we know our own sinfulness. We know how easy it is to be trapped by sin and to conform to this world. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to bring our sin into the light, to confess it and turn away from it. And Lord, we thank you that this is not simply our own effort. We thank you for your spirit that is bringing this change in us. So fill us with your spirit, we pray, that we might be who you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.